And oil and gas has been a, has been a big driver in the Alberta economy and it's continued to do so. But just a bunch of things were happening. I think we were really watching the ballooning numbers of suspended and abandoned wells. That problem existed 30 years ago when I started my career and it just continued to grow. And I think I feel like I started to get a little bit jaded around that because it was really about, we weren't really improving things. It may be status quo, but I really didn't feel like things were changing. The policies and things that were put in place some of that enforcement stuff just really wasn't happening and I wanted to find different ways to influence improvements and changes in our industry. This podcast is brought to you by Dentons, the world's largest law firm with a global team that builds agile, tailored solutions to meet the local, national, and global needs of private and public clients of any size in 183 locations serving 75 countries. Hi everyone, my name is Heather Barnhouse. I'm a partner and lawyer in our Edmonton office. Welcome to my podcast where I explore the topic of women in entrepreneurship and leadership and the ecosystem supporting the growth of this segment. Today I'm joined by Michelle Cotton, founder of Solstice Canada Corporation. I'm excited to talk to her today about her entrepreneurial journey. Welcome Michelle. Thank you very much, Heather. I'm very excited to be here today. Can you give our listeners a little bit of background about yourself and your history and how you started Solstice? I started off in the oil and gas industry over 30 years ago. My background really, uh, I have an undergrad degree in agriculture, and that's before, the, before there was an environmental program at the University of Alberta. And really, my interest in what I was doing was around protecting human health and the environment. I, I also went on to do, um, started a master's program and completed my courses in research and have some white papers published on reclamation and remediation of non-selective residual herbicides in Alberta. <laughs> That's a bit random. <laughs> <laughs> it is a bit random, but it's kind of, it, it's kind of how my path started because when, as an undergrad, I was a summer student with ACE vegetation and I found myself spraying herbicides all over Western Canada on oil and gas facilities. And I, hmm. so I got a kind of got a chance to see the Western provinces and meet a lot of people. And I started paying attention to some of some of the impacts that those herbicides were doing in the environment. Hmm, interesting. That really led me to thinking about what those, where those herbicides were going in our soil, in our water, in our food supply, food hmm. security system, which led to the interest in more responsibility around them. But really, how do we clean it up? Because I was starting to see things like the long-term damage that it was doing to the soil where nothing would grow for years and mm. uh, erosion and erosion issues, sediment runoff issues, those types of things. So that really gave you a practical uh, a, a viewing of the lessons that many of us just learn in, in textbooks. When you're actually out in the field, you can see the impact and, and understand its impact much more so than just, just reading about it in a, in a textbook. And and that sort of led me to start my first company. I'm a bit of a serial entrepreneur. Tell us about that. I guess uh, Solstice is my third environmental <laughs> my third environmental company. I've also uh, owned and run a daycare that I oh, set wow. up for my staff as um, as a woman in environmental sciences. I really felt conflicted when I was had a young family, and 
you know, you spend all this time and edu- time and um, passion on your education and your career. And I wanted to try to find a balance where you could have both. So it was it was me working towards that goal of being able to have both things. Interesting. So so tell us a little bit more about Solstice and what it does. Well, Solstice is an environmental management company. That's kind of what our focus is. The way that I'm characterizing us right now is activators of sustainability. Our roots are firmly in oil and gas, but we always knew that that was kind of a vulnerability. We're, we're going to be celebrating our 18th anniversary this, later this year. Wow. We, have, we really spent the first 14, 12, 14 years really focused on the oil and gas industry. 90% of our business came from oil and gas. So, and we had some really predictable cycles and things that happened when we were doing that. You know, uh, oil and gas is very cyclic. But 2014 really, you know, probably was very pivotal for us because I think we thought, I kind of thought enough is enough. And I started to look at things, how we needed to do things differently to get into some other markets. Interesting. I want to pick up on that concept or the the comment that you made about, you know, shifts. And, And I've heard comments made by other entrepreneurs previously that entrepreneurship contains a lot of unknowns and it's reacting to the environment that is imposed on you. And so when you talk about, you know, for example, in 2014, when things started to shift for you, that of course would be right around when the oil uh, bottomed out in this province. And I'm, I'm curious to know about what those kinds of shifts or how you react to the environment what and 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 obviously we're in a unprecedented environment right now with the pandemic what have these reactions to the environment or these shifts that you've experienced what have those taught you uh in the context of solstice and and in the context of running your own business well i think those shifts taught us a lot about flexibility and how to adapt but also about planning better for the future. I think you kind of get on this train with oil and gas where, you know, we had all of our systems and processes in place. We were doing multi-million dollar, multi-year type projects. And oil and gas has been a, has been a big driver in the Alberta economy and it's continued to do so. But just a bunch of things were happening. I think we were really watching the ballooning numbers of suspended and abandoned wells. That problem existed 30 years ago when I started my career and it just continued to grow. And I think Hmm. I feel like I started to get a little bit jaded around that because it was really about, we weren't really improving things. It may be status quo, but I really didn't feel like things were changing. The policies and things that were put in place some of that enforcement stuff just really wasn't happening. And I wanted to find different ways to influence improvements and changes in our industry. And and what have you found? Like, what are some of those improvements or those innovations or those different ways of doing that? Have you, have you found that people are receptive to thinking about those things in a different way? Uh, I think we're going after innovation of process. So that's really about who we involve who we're working with you know so we started looking at other partners like indigenous communities I think that there's a lot of complementary cultures and values around how they view the environment and the impact that they see in cumulative effects and I think partnering so what, what one of our strategies has been really to partner with some of these indigenous communities and work on solutions and projects together with them. 
Interesting. Can you give us an example of, of what that's done for the for your company, for your employees and some of that capacity building and the, you know, the transfer of knowledge and the teaching? Probably not what, you know, an, an environmental management company might think of themselves or position themselves as, but obviously a really successful partnership that you formed. Can you give us a bit of an example of of some of the initiatives that you've taken on and, and some of the results, some of the, you know, the real life results that you've experienced? I'm not sure how to approach that question. I think, you know, we are, we're actively working on environmental issues, inventories, and reducing those in, in communities where we're working with local environmental monitors that we are, Mm. you know, we're, we're learning together. They're training us and we're training them. We've been able to kind of tackle a number of environmental liabilities and started to, to actually clean things up, which is great. But some of the kind of unique things that I'm thinking about that we're really excited about right now are things like we've been working on the story of the land project, Lubicon Lake Bound. And it's a, a project where we're trying to mesh traditional knowledge and Western science. Because I think part of the things that we've learned when we're working with um, our Indigenous partners is the value of having balanced perspectives. Hmm, interesting. One of the things that we really like doing that I think the team gets a lot of excitement about is we like taking fundamental research and applying it. And this this project that we've been working on with the Lubicon Lake Band is we're using sediment profiles to, to reconstruct past environmental conditions. Wow. And yeah, we, we met with the um, a number of elders and knowledge keepers within the community and picked out some of the key lakes within their traditional territory. And then we went out on those lakes in the wintertime with a number of community members and, and together we collected these cores and shipped them off to one of our partners on this pro- on the project, this Patterson Research Group from Carleton University, where they went and um, did some of or coordinated the Western science da- data aspect of the project. It's very interesting. We were able to reconstruct about a thousand years worth of data history over these profiles to see kind of how that environment and climate has changed over time. The idea is if we have a thousand years of historical data, we can project out a thousand years into the future. But what we wanted to do was look at how the people that have been living in that area have adapted and changed over time. So Mm -hmm. we sat down and we were collecting knowledge and stories from the community members to kind of look at how, from their perspective, how things had changed historically. And then we were trying to coordinate that with the Western science data so that we can make some predictions into the future. So some of the things we saw were essentially in these lakes a thousand years ago, some of the ecological conditions were been very similar to what it is now. Unfortunately, we haven't got stories that go back quite that far yet. Uh, right. But it still allows us to do some prediction into the future. That's really that's really fascinating because especially in this world that we live in where we, you know, we think about data analytics and we think about algorithms and we think about machine learning and all the different ways that we can use that fancy technology to predict out. It's really interesting that you don't hear like the story that you just told us. You don't hear so many instances where you're where you're marrying up the the data so the raw data and then the predictive power with some of the the culture and the history and the 
the the knowledge that was transferred. So you don't necessarily have that human side to the data that you're specifically gathering and then, you know, being able to sort of lay them side by side and, and do a bit of a comparison. And it's interesting because if you, as you say, if you if you have a thousand years worth of data, for example, you the, the goal is ideally to be able to sort of predict out a roughly equivalent amount of time in, in the future. And it's really fascinating to think about what those stories might be um, in the future as well, right? Because we're so well positioned for what, what we see and hear and know today. But if you have the data that shows you, you know, a, a big chunk of time uh, previously, and then you're also able to predict out, it will be really interesting to see what those stories are and then how those stories continue to evolve as we move into the future. So I think that's really that's really interesting. It's a great way of combining some of the technology and some of the you know the sexy data science stuff that we're seeing these days, uh, but putting a, a bit of a human spin on it and, and acknowledging the the culture and the history and the all of the the knowledge that uh, that has been gained from humans, not just from the the raw data. So I think that's great. Yeah, it's very exciting, and it's a project where we're, we've been able to learn together. I think mm. everyone thinks about you know, what is background? And we think background is kind of what, you know, what we know now. Is it what we knew when we were kids? Is it what our grandparents knew? And kind of that walking through time and seeing some of that things, I think we all kind of learned together about how things have naturally been evolving. And, you know, and and, and we've been able to survive through that. It kind of is a bit of a hope thing because we think, you know, as things evolve in the future and change ecologically, we can adapt. Yeah, and it's fascinating that you to me because this of course is not my my area of study, but it's fascinating to me when when you said, "Oh, yeah, ecologically like, you know, things are roughly the same." And you think, "Really? Like over a thousand years? That's 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 interesting to me that it wouldn't be vastly different." And so, you're right. If you think, "Okay, well we survived these as a as a species, we've survived these things and we've adapted and we've been resilient and we'll be able to continue to do that because if we just look at the raw data, yeah, well we're still we're still here, right?" So, I think Think that is kind of a hopeful message um, and and sort of grounding in terms of what uh, what what we should do with that knowledge. I want to broaden that question a little bit or that thought process a little bit um, and and broaden this to sort of entrepreneurship a little bit more um, generally. And some of the con or the comments that I hear are that people shy away from entrepreneurship because they think they don't know all of the answers at the at the beginning and when they have this idea and they are scared to launch it and they're fearful that if they don't have a fully polished business plan or they don't have a, a, a very precise roadmap of where they're going to go that they they don't want to start and they're they're sort of afraid to get out of the gate. You've told us that you're a bit of a serial entrepreneurship and you had you know, a daycare, very different from an environmental management company. What's your thought on that? Do you, do you agree that you need to have a, 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 you know, fully mapped out roadmap before you go or, or, or is it more of a a process that evolves over time? I think it depends on the person, but for me, it's been Mm -hmm. a process that's evolved over time. I think I was fortunate because I came from a family of entrepreneurs. And so It's a little bit less daunting when I, you know, kind of grew up and my my parents had small businesses. You know, I kind of had an inkling for what the energy and some of the things to expect with that. But you Mm -hmm. really, I think it depends on what your objectives are because there's different types of reasons to become an entrepreneur. Some people, sometimes it's like a a lifestyle business where you're just, you know, you're employing yourself. And I think actually that, that, that is how my first company sort of started off. 
um, mm. and, evolve, and evolve from there? Or, you know, are you looking for something that can be scalable and sustainable and right. can create, have a life of its own and, um, you know, a bit of a bigger vision? And that's sort of where that's sort of where I'm at now. That's interesting. Did you did you have that idea when you start? So you said, you know, Solstice is probably your third baby entrepreneur company. Did you have that vision when you first started Solstice that this one was going to be a little bit different from your previous ones and that you were looking more for that sustainability and that, you know, capacity to perhaps out, outlast you? Or at the time, did you have a different view when you when you actually launched it? Um. No, I, I did. I definitely had the view that I wanted to try to build something scalable and sustainable. And I wanted to show how you could do business differently. I watched a lot of traditional businesses. I have been part, I you know, been employed by some traditional businesses. I think that as a female in the environmental industry and in the oil and gas industry, I had a different perspective. I wanted to kind of be able to leverage some of that to do to do things differently, which is kind of the... Um, the reason for the daycare. The re- and mm. at first, I think the focus of Solstice was really about creating a very positive workspace, very employee focused. So, you know, we had the daycare, exercise room, big lunch mm. room, rooftop patio, really heavy on professional development. And one thing that's always been core to the business is the focus on safety, um, mm. making sure yeah. everyone gets home safely. And we, right. we've always invested in sort of that aspect of it once that was kind of achieved, I needed to, I sort of, we kind of evolved to become more externally focused, looking around us and seeing how can we have an impact, which is really about what this transition that we've moved into has been about, you know, how, how can we have more of an impact and improve things? How can we really make things sustainable? How can we be, how can we fix things? How can we be beyond sustainability? I like that. I like how, I like how you, you framed that, you know, for some entrepreneurs, at the beginning of the journey, you might have a particular goal or objective in mind when you launch your business. And it might be, as you say, just a sort of a lifestyle business or job creation or whatever. But that it's possible once you've satisfied that need and once you've you know established your market, uh, your, your place in the market, and once you've established how you're going to conduct your business, that you can then shift that view or you can expand that view so that you can focus on the things like sustainability or the legacy creation or, you know, partnering with other people, all kinds of different ways that it can go. And I think that that is an important lesson for entrepreneurs to recognize that at the beginning, they can start out with a particular vision and view and and accomplish that. But that doesn't have it doesn't have to end there. And so there's still the flexibility and there's still the opportunity to be able to to move in different directions and and then you know check off different boxes that are still meaningful and satisfying uh, from a from a personal perspective as well. Michelle, can you tell us a little bit about the unique services that Solstice is able to offer? I think one of the things that's probably the most unique about us right now is that we're working on having um, we have our consulting part of the business, but also we're working on a product. And one of the things that we found when we were working in situ oil and gas is we had a value add that we had created for our clients in terms of a really detailed soil mapping that allowed them to make better decisions before we hit the field uh, at the Mm, pre-engineering stage. And sort of when things changed in 2014 and the the market changed for oil and gas, we found a way to kind of pivot that into environmental sensitivity mapping. Basically, 
what it is, is it's a digital mapping tool and process that we use to understand the environment and land uses and kind of those value trade-offs. And it looks at assets such as habitat and rare species, things like that, and threats like intensive land use or aquatic risks and developmental constraints like maybe um, floodways and steep slopes, those kinds of things to help do better land use management and planning. We've recently launched this year a fortuitous thing for us during uh, COVID where so much of all of our work is um, we're starting to interact more online and we've launched yeah. the Solstice Wetland Mapper. Essentially what that is, it's an online digital platform for wetland mapping and it's intended to be used as a high-level planning tool to understand wetland classifications and distributions in your area of interest. And it really dovetails with the Alberta Wetland Policy and its associated oh. wetland mitigation directives. We're pretty excited about it. It's, it's something that works really well like for you know, municipal planners and developers. And we're, we're actually working a lot with it in um, some of the Indigenous communities to help them with their land use planning. So obviously that wasn't planned. That wasn't a, a service that Solstice planned. At what point did you recognize that it could be its own standalone thing? I think it, it took us a little while to get there because when you're used to doing consulting, it's really that's kind of where your mindset is. And that actually has been a challenge for us and, and, and probably taken us a little bit longer to kind of get this thing launched because handling and using and marketing a product is different. It's the way that you right. structure the, the payments, the way that you structure the, the system, the processes and things are all, are all different. I think that's going to serve us really well in the future and we're excited to keep building on that. Well, that is exciting, and we'll we'll watch with uh, with bated breath to see how that how that continues. Do you have any words of wisdom <clears throat> for entrepreneurs who may just be starting out? In other words, is there you know something that you would do differently if you were starting out today, um, or is there some message of hope that that you can leave our listeners with uh, for those people who are considering an entrepreneurial journey? I don't think I allowed myself to be empowered earlier on in my journey. Hmm. What do you mean by that? I often would look to other external validation. Um, I, I think that's a common thing that I've heard through my experiences with Alberta Women Entrepreneurs and Women's Presidents Organization about that imposter syndrome. It's like somebody okay. must be doing this better than me or they must know more than I do. I, you know, sometimes that's true, but sometimes it's not. And it's sort of these self-imposing things that we we put on ourselves, especially when you're mm -hmm. doing something different from the rest of the pack or trying to do something different or doing those experimentations, your confidence can kind of get deflated. And it, mm. and you throw something out there and everybody wants to poke holes in it. And that, that can really start to become very, weight, that can weigh a lot on you. Other things that I think about as an entrepreneur, and this isn't a shameful plug for you, but having a great lawyer and a great accountant and and seeking their advice at the right times has been really important to us being able to be successful. And 
you know, people try to do it on their own, or you might, you know, you might try to use the Google lawyer or the Google accountant or whatever. But I have to say that from a strategic perspective, from um, risk management and being able to have foresight that getting those experienced people in place, which is something that I did right at the very, very beginning um, mm. my first, my first accountant that, that I was with for a very long time used to call us, used to call, um, me and, uh, Solskjaer's his social experiment. Um, <laughs> but he was always very supportive. He would, he would provide the ample amount of skepticism towards my, my, my unique ideas. I think other things about really making sure you have proper insurance for the type of work that you're doing and the contracts that you have those are things that even though you get excited about the work you're doing, those are details that you can't not take care of properly or it's very right. difficult. I think you can run into a lot of problems. You know, I think I think your comments are so true. First of all, the law firm of Google for sure is my biggest competitor. Um, but beyond, beyond that, um, I think that it's it's really important. And, and it's not necessarily limited just to lawyers and accountants. Like if you're, you know, if I was going to go out and do an environmental project, I would want to make sure that I had some expertise, some, some trusted advisors who were really well versed in some area that I'm not, right? And I think what you're getting at with the insurance and with the, you know, the accountant and the lawyer and making sure that you've bounced your, you've thought through your wild ideas is making sure you've got a really solid foundation and you know where to go when you have questions or, or when you have, you know, when you have this like wild idea that may get out of control. And I think, I think there's a fine line because entrepreneurs are so enthusiastic and so passionate about their ideas. Uh, and they're, you know, they're the eternal optimists who they just need one more corner and everything will turn out, you know, sunshine and roses. But if it doesn't, you, you know, you need to to know you need to know you need to know your backup plan you need to know where that insurance stops right oh <laughs> uh, it is funny there is so many parallels like one of our superpowers i think at solstice is relationship building but also that language and translation piece like we work really hard to use language that everyone in the room can understand not that we're right. always successful but that's one of our goals and it's always right. it's a it's a it's a living goal but part of that is really you know, when we're looking at things in terms of the environment and environmental health is why do we care? And right. what's the risk if we do nothing? And what yep. is our recommendation on how to make things better? It, yeah, it, and, and that's kind of the same thing with, you know, your accountants and lawyers. It's the same kind of thing. Um, you know, when I talked about my account, my accountant and my the social experiment and, you know, he might <laughs> give me a, he might give me advice or direction but I might have my new idea to go after but then he would be able to help me say okay well if here's some things to protect you and if this goes wrong this is you know right yeah yeah so that risk mitigation right so it's really around trying to put some 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 boxes around the idea so that you're trying to mitigate where it potentially could go wrong so that you don't lose everything that you've built right thank you so much for joining us today Michelle it's been really fun to hear your journey thank you very much Heather Thank you for joining the podcast today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe or follow to get notified when we have an update.